Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is Julio Rodriguez, and this is the Lookout Landing Podcast. Turn up the stereo. again everybody we hope you are enjoying what is probably maybe not even probably i think definitely the strangest time any of us have been alive for i feel like i've been saying that at the beginning of all these episodes and it continues to be true so i should probably just stop mentioning it and hopefully everything will just go back to normal if i ignore it um but this is the lookout landing podcast thank you for turning it on thank you for turning it on and listening to us uh, my name is matthew robertson staff writer podcast host uh, person just in general a guy who lives on earth and uh, I am joined today by not one not two but three guests uh, I don't know if this has ever happened with the all the guests coming from within the lookout landing universe it's very exciting to talk to actual friends who I know in real life even if we are all separated <laughs> across the city so I guess we'll just go down the list here first up a name and a voice you'll recognize John Troopin how's it going buddy Doing all right. Okay, great. <laughs> and then we also have Kate. <laughs> Kate Pruser is here. Hi, what do you Kate. want from me? Hello. Hello. 
I've come to, to talk point. about the Astros. Yes. Well, okay. Yeah. We'll talk about I that in a, a second. I have a giant beverage. I just want to like make it clear. I have to go first because I have a giant beverage in my hand of the adult variety in order to get through talking about the team that I loathe the most in baseball. So if I get less coherent over the course of the podcast, that's why. Yeah, Kate is drinking Everclear mixed with absinthe. We told her not to, but it's the only way she could do this, I guess. With with whippets every time she mutes. I call it a a Jeff Lunau. (laughs) (laughs) Because it'll be fun for about a year, and then it's absolutely just a disaster after that. And (laughs) also, it causes me to make terrible choices. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then last but not least, we have Isabel Manassian, a Lookout Landing alum at this point. I don't really know what to call you in reference to Lookout Landing, but Isabel is here. Hello. Hello. Yeah, I don't know what to call myself. She's LL Emeritus. Yeah. I'm a lurker like the rest of y'all now. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, Isabel has moved on to work at the Baseball Hall of Fame, leaving the rest of us to just sort of continue blogging into the abyss, which is great. We love it. Uh, And that's kind of what the podcast is, too, just sort of shouting about baseball and hoping that it latches on to some of your eardrums. But today... We had uh, a pretty cool idea. It was John Troopin's idea, I believe, uh, to talk about every team that's still left uh, in the league championship series, although uh, there's a good chance the Astros get eliminated while we record this, which we would welcome. Um, but basically, we've been With watching... open arms. Yeah, we actually... like That's what we're rooting for, <laughs> unequivocally. Yeah. But uh, like the rest of you, we've been watching the respective league championship series, and we thought, how do we make this about us? So what we're going to do today is each of us have chosen one of the teams still playing, and we are going to essentially role play as a fan of that team. And during each of our little spiels, we will tell you how they got to the point they're at today, and then also to tie it all back to Lookout Landing and the Mariners, sort of compare their paths and their trajectories to those of the Mariners in an attempt to figure out how can the Mariners use these teams as kind of roadmaps to success. So as Kate mentioned, she is taking the Astros because she's a very gracious person who also maybe has a little bit of masochism working in here. We'll <laughs> definitely we unpack both that those later. Yeah, yeah, definitely both those things. I am a benevolent leader, and so I I fell upon my sword to take the Astros because I figured no one else would want them. That part uh, is definitely true. I didn't want to touch the Astros. I didn't even want to like entertain the idea of like acting in a way that makes me like the Astros. Like sometimes yeah. I've heard a story like Ben Affleck, like will refuse to wear Yankees hats in his movies. And like, that's the most relatable any actor is to me. when it's like, they don't want to even like portray that they might be a fan of some team they hate in real life. I love that. Love That makes me like Ben Affleck so much better. Um, ben Affleck, if you're listening, come on the Lookout Landing podcast. Sure. Yeah. And talk about the Red Welcome. Sox. Yeah. It's a safe zone. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's a fun exercise. I'm going to put in a little plug and say that I'm doing the comments in the Baseball Prospectus Annual this year for the Pirates. So I'd love for you to check that out. Uh, They gave me the worst team, which is what they always do, as they should. Uh, But I was pretty excited to look at a team other than the Orioles. So the Pirates, studying them, really getting to know them has been super interesting I've never really gotten too into, like, how teams are constructed, but there are so many different ways. You know, I I tend to look more at the surface level of things, but it's really interesting to dig down into 
how things become what they are. And it's interesting to see the path that they're taking in Pittsburgh right now because they're really just kind of at the beginning of that journey. So if you want to kind of see all this unfold in real time, check out the Pirates because they have some fun stuff going on over there. Is there a light at the end of the tunnel for the Pirates, Kate? There's definitely. Yeah, definitely. They, you know, chucked Ray Searage and his sinker-loving self overboard. They brought in a new pitching coach who actually was with, he was the Mariners MILB coordinator for a couple years, uh, Oscar Marine. Um, and he's made some really interesting changes. They have Key Brian Hayes, who like looks like kind of a Kyle Lewis type, electrifying, exciting player. They've got, they've got uh, Mitch Keller. They just made a great trade for Starling Marte before the beginning of the season. They traded him to Arizona yep. for Leo Paguero, who is just starting to creep up on top 100 lists, and Brennan Malone, who's a prep arm that I really liked, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a Kumar Rocker-esque kid. So, And they have the first pick in this year's draft. And they have Nick Gonzalez, who was my favorite player in the 2019, or the 2020 draft. So, uh, well, not my favorite. My second favorite, I guess. Hassel was my favorite, but... Uh, yeah, so really, I mean, they're, they've they've got some, that, that's a farm system on the rise. So if you're into that kind of thing, go check out the Pirates. Well. I, I, I want to like the Pirates all the time. Yeah. Uh, but they've made it really difficult recently. Also, my boss is a major Pirates fan, so I would love for him to be happy at some point someday. You know, you want to be able to support the ownership, and Nutting has just spent nothing on the team, and it's been really, I I imagine it's been frustrating for Pirates fans, so they're going that home, that hardcore homegrown route, which, you know, we've seen the Rays do, and and I guess I should get into talking about the Astros here, Um, but it's just interesting if you think about where each team is on their developmental track, so hopefully this... This podcast will help you gain a perspective for where each of these teams are and how they got there and uh, how the Mariners could get there, too. All right, I'm going to talk about the Astros now. Do you want to ask me questions or do you want me to just talk? Uh, I mean, you can kind of just talk. My plan when we get to my team, I guess here, we'll do this first. Kate's doing the Astros. uh, John will have the Rays. Isabel has the Dodgers. And I have the Braves. And what I was going to do for my section was just kind of talk. I made like basically like a Google Doc uh, presentation. So I'm going to be like presenting to the class. <laughs> where I'm just, like, just going to basically share all of the research that I did. Um, but I didn't really like plan for like a call and response. I was just more going to like do like kind of an open presentation, but you can handle it however right. you want. It'd be kind all of fun right. if we all did it differently, honestly. Uh, no, I can do that. I mean, I'll give you just like the brief kind of rundown on who that how the Astros got here and all right I'll bite who are the Houston Astros <laughs> who are the Houston Astros <laughs> other than our nemeses um <clears throat> so we can I think we should start tracking the current iteration of the Astros from Jeff Lunau taking over in 2012 it, I don't care if I'm saying his name right or not in fact I hope I'm saying it wrong um so they really started with two years of just hardcore tanking, like being absolute, just absolutely, they were the pits. They were the Lastros, they were the Disastros, they were the ASSros, like, you know, so <clears throat> we thought, oh, we're, we're, we're getting away with something by having them move over to the AL West. But alas, 
we did not know what lay in, in store for us. So we have two years of hardcore tanking, 2012 to 2014. And then they also, so they have three straight for number one overall picks. And then they also have the number two pick in 2015. Um, so when you look at how the Astros are composed, a lot of it comes from those draft years, right? <clears throat> you have uh, Carlos Correa in 2012. Uh, who they took over Byron Buxton because Correa wasn't per wasn't perceived as the best overall talent in that draft. So they thought they could get him at like a below slot signing. They used the extra money to sign Lance McCullers, who you might recognize uh, from him throwing all the curveballs in the world and striking all the Mariners out. So they came away with kind of a haul in that draft. 2013, they blew a little bit with Mark Appel, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, 2014, they got Brady Aiken, who didn't sign. They found some stuff they didn't like in his medicals. So he turns into Alex Bregman the next year, and they take Kyle Tucker, who is making some noise as well at number five that year. So that's where you have the core of kind of the homegrown guys being built in those 2012 to 2014 draft years. Um, then obviously we all know about the Astros in trades. So the 2019 Astros got 22 wins above replacement from trades. That was third in MLB. Uh, they got eight or they got 18.8 out of the draft, which was fourth. So they're really making hay out of the trades. And we know it's like a meme now. It's a joke. Like you trade anyone to the Astros and they turn these absolute fringe guys or, Guys who are good, but not like ace level, into stars. See Justin Verlander. See Garrett Cole. Um, so that's where a lot of that value is coming from. Obviously, Verlander's hurt now, and Cole is a Yankee. But those are kind of the big name ones. You, you also have like them trading Seth Beer, who is a defensively limited power hitter for Zach Greinke. Um, Chris Davinsky came as a player to be named later in a trade for Brett Myers with the White Sox. Uh, Evan Gaddis came from the Braves from Mike, I don't know how to say his name, Fulton, uh, just call him Fulton. Fulton Nevich. Fulton Nevich, yeah. Um, Duh. <laughs> of course, for sure. <laughs> There's no H in there, but, you know, assume there is. <laughs> Polish, a fun language. Uh, Mark Appel turns into Ken Giles. So Appel wasn't, and he's never made the major. So Appel, they had enough of those first round picks that they could like blow one in Appel. Um, actually, they blew kind of two in a, in a row there in 2013 and 2014 with Appel and Aiken, neither of whom ever pitched as Houston Astros. But they were able to turn not signing Aiken after kind of lowballing him into Bregman slash... Tucker, and then they turned Mark Appel into Ken Giles, and they turned Ken Giles into Roberto Osuna. Pause for booze. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and that was just to refresh anyone's memory. Like, post his DV suspension, the Blue Jays wanted to get rid of him. They basically bought cheap on him. And that, I think, is where the Astros... I believe that the day that they traded for Osuna was... The beginning of their public heel turn um, till obviously then you have the cheating and then you have the scandals and then you have the misogyny. And uh, I think all those things were kind of simmering along in the organization. But the 
outright heel move of trading for Osuna really put them in baseball's crosshairs. Uh, so don't trade with the Astros. The Astros always win these trades. Like, I could not find a trade that I didn't think the Astros had just straight up won. They traded Gilberto Celestino, who's a very good defensive outfielder, but not much else, for Ryan Presley, who's like, um, I guess kind of their closer now that Osuna is hurt. So they made a lot of hay there. They got a lot, obviously, in international free agency. They don't really... This regime doesn't get credit for Altuve because he signed so long ago. But they did sign Gurriel, uh, Jose Arquide, Framber Valdez. So, like, going with guys, they do not spend a ton internationally. But they've gotten huge value specifically from looking other places. They're fifth in uh, value from international free agency signings. Also fifth in free agency signings. 12.6 war. Um... Mostly through making really smart, targeted signings like Josh Reddick and Michael Brantley, two for $32 million. He's been their best hitter on the team, and probably the Astros are not in the postseason without him. Uh, Carlos yeah. Beltran, who really was the heart and soul of that championship team. So, And then they've also made a lot on waiver claims. Colin Mehugh was a waiver claim. Uh, Will Harris was a waiver claim. So... They've attacked all different uh, formats. They got Marwin Gonzalez in the Rule 5. Uh, Mariner killer Marwin Gonzalez. So they've used a lot of different methods, but I think pretty clearly the bedrock of that team was built through the tanking and through the draft. And so, and, and through getting a little lucky there. Like, Correa turned into way bigger a star than Byron Buxton, who was the presumed number one overall pick that year ever became or will become sorry byron um so as far as like the mariners following that path i'm not sure that i see them just because they're they're never gonna go into that full tank mode like we've kind of seen the low point of the team in 2019 and 2020 and i'm not sure that you know we're not walking away from the draft with an alex bregman and a carlos correa so Right. It's pretty infuriating to realize that like the Astros plan for success was just to be really good at everything. And then that <laughs> worked like that never works. Something usually goes <laughs> wrong. And I guess you could argue that like them, the cheating scandal was something going wrong. But we've also seen that it didn't really have any negative consequences. Like they still made the ALCS this year. So uh, I agree with you, though. I don't think that the Astros are like a good uh, thing for the Mariners to follow or like build themselves after because like you said they're not going to go full tank and just the, like the the hit rate there is unreal like yeah. like you said they had two number one overall picks who they did not sign and it didn't completely sink the franchise like that if that had gone wrong then they're like probably still sort of circling the drain but the fact that they were able to get out of that and i'm saying this through extremely gritted teeth is very impressive yeah, and that's, like, what happens when you bring on a lot of consultants and a lot of, like, guys from the finance world, which is what they did. Um, they brought in the McKinsey consultants or whatever. Um, I have a quote written down from Jeff Luno. Every draft class is a portfolio. Uh, so I what hate do you it mean? already. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's extremely hateable. Um, but the process behind it, I think, is good. It means balance your high value safe floor players with your high risk high reward so 
a little bit of college, a little bit of rolling the dice on some riskier high school players. Take an Alex Bregman, also take a Carlos Correa, also take um, Kyle Tucker. Like, so it's a little, that's a strategy that I don't think the Mariners have adapted in their drafts. They just consistently go for that safe, 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 high floor college player over and over again. And I would really, I've said this over and over again, it's my hobby horse. I beat this drum all the time, but I think you have to roll the dice some in order to get some of those big stars. Especially, like, you've got to roll the dice in the draft if you're going to continue to look at international amateur free agent signings as, quote, penny slots. Like, if you're not going to invest heavily there, you've got to be bolder in your draft, right? When the Astros are not usually one of the teams at the very top of that international market either, right? So. Yeah, the Mariners actually, I think you could argue very easily, have outspent the Astros in international free agency signing um, just because they've extended significant money, not like bank-breaking money, not the top-tier kind of money that like a Jason Dominguez from the Yankees <laughs> is getting, but, you know, 1.5 is not... A small amount, and they gave that to Julio, they gave that to Noel V. Um, the Astros have been much more kind of, I think the Astros have gone even further with the penny slots thing. I mean, Framber Valdez was like a $10,000 sign. He was 21 at the time. Um, it was not significant. Um, I would say that Jordan Alvarez was a big one, but he was signed by the Dodgers. The Dodgers gave him $2 million. Mm-hmm. So the, and then he came over to the Astros in trade. Yet another robbery. Uh, <laughs> the Dodgers got Josh Fields, which I, is not, wow. yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> not, that's, that's some severe robbery. The, there's a lot held up about, oh, the Astros let J.D. Martinez walk. And that was like a big for, a function of their analytics focused analytics over everything um, way of doing things because there wasn't a person who was working with JD Martinez who was like, no, this guy, this guy's going to be something. Um, They did compensate for that. I think with the Carlos Beltran signing, which was a recognition of the human element, but I think the Astros are a lot, a cautionary tale about not letting your, analytics and data do all the decision making for you uh and of course they were kind of the first to start laying off scouts and so i think they're leaning even more into that uh we've seen them just start to set up a factory where they pride pitchers who throw really hard and don't throw with a ton of control um and then they shed the pitchers who can't learn control like that's how seattle got johan ramirez uh michael felice went to the pirates in a trade yet another trade that does not look good from the uh, not Astros side of it. So yeah, I think the Astros, if anything, the Mariners spend more internationally, um, but the Astros are better at turning up like kind of those hidden gems, or at least they have been. I have no idea what's going to happen going forward with this reduction in their scouting staff. Um, The loss of their draft picks, obviously, which I still feel like they could have been penalized more, but, you know, they're not going to have that core to build from. They're going to have to go other places, or they're going to have to enter a hard rebuild again. So, 
I don't a, cheat is the moral of that. I have a I have a question for you, Kate. Okay. So, the Astros, as you mentioned, the trades have been pretty heavily lopsided. Yeah, pretty yes. heavily wins. Um, and one of the ways they've done that is, uh, or, or one of the one of the ways that's manifested is like they had a really good stretch of drafting and. Outside of, you know, Bregman and Tucker in the last five years. Well, not outside of. But Bregman and Tucker have been great. But the last five years, they haven't gotten as much from their draft. No. But they have been able to trade people like Fisher, like or like Derek Fisher, like Mark Appel. Uh, Daz like Cameron. Daz Cameron, exactly. Seth Beer, J.B. Bukowskis. Um, so... Do you think that component is somewhere that the Mariners are eventually going to get to where, okay, you know, maybe this player is panning out, maybe this player is not, but Seattle is seeing, okay, we've got a wave of guys in the big leagues. We're going to start trading, uh, you know, these top picks again to augment. Or, or you know, is that is that somewhere you could feasibly see Seattle getting to in, in the near future? Uh, or do you think that... At this point, Seattle is going to value its its sort of top picks uh, more and say, like, look, we're going to develop these guys, and, and that's going to be where our core comes from consistently. I think a big part of that is that they're focusing so much time on getting pitchers and developing pitchers, hmm. and that comes from developing from not traditional locations as well, because... They're not going to have the draft capital that the Astros had. Mm-hmm. They don't have that. Mm-hmm. So they have to find an alternate way to find guys and make something and, and add that value. So a big way they're doing that is by plugging up these guys on the waiver wire, the Austin Adamses of the world, and trading them for something that they didn't have before. Um, I would also say that something that the Astros did that I think the Mariners could have done to some extent is they traded with organizations that were weaker developmentally. They traded with the White Sox, who I think are more just they've got a ton of talented players than they are really good at developing them. Uh, They traded with the Twins, who were not on that forefront. They traded with the Blue Jays. Um, So they picked on to some extent. They traded with the Pirates. God bless their hearts. Uh, definitely not a poster child for uh, advanced develop player development. So in some ways it was exploiting these teams that weren't as far ahead as them um, and dealing off stuff that they had an excess of. So they had a lot of relievers that they were able to put through their pitching program and make more effective. Uh, those guys all lost effectiveness once they left Houston. but it, And they were good at identifying... Players who weren't maybe being maximized, having their skill set maximized in other places. So it always uh, makes me feel a little bad when I see the Mariners trading with the Nationals, for example. But also, I know they know what they're doing more than the Nationals do. Um, But also, like, our big trade, the Justice Sheffield acquisition, was with the Yankees. Like, the Yankees aren't, you're not pulling one over on the Yankees. So that part is a little bit different. Well, and I think that's an interesting point, right? Because it's it's a it's more about like, okay, this team knows a lot, 
So what is it that you can identify in a player that isn't working there that is going to work here? You know, I mean, it's it's you know eight years, ten years apart at this point. But like JD Martinez is a great thing you you mentioned, and that was early in their time. But it's like JD Martinez ostensibly is an analytics darling, but for whatever reason, the Astros were not reaching him, or they weren't identifying you know his skill set and. Justice Sheffield, you know, say a similar thing. Like, Justice Sheffield obviously has great talent as a pitcher. It's why he's been a top prospect forever. But the way that the Yankees sort of, um, you know, coach things was not a fit for him. And it seems like that may be better here. So, um, right. So, a big part of that is just knowing what your strengths are as an organization development and being able to identify those trade targets. And I think the Mariners have done a good job of that. Um, all of this is about pitching though. I mean, I think they've gotten lucky with Dylan Moore and, you know, Sam Haggerty certainly looked impressive before he got hurt, but. Uh, Isabel's you know, pumping her fist. <laughs> you don't see it as much with uh you see it more with pitching, and that's something that's similar to the Astros. So I guess it's comforting that, like, they were able to do it, and I think the Mariners have been pretty able to do it. I would like to see them do it more with position players, too, like really be able to develop some, like the Dodgers are able to do, for example, with, like, unlocking Chris Taylor's bat. I have a question for the group before we move on to the Rays. Um, the Astros, right as they were sort of going into the tank, uh, decided to rebrand. They used to wear that like weird burnt red and black color scheme. And then in 2013, when they moved to the AL, they switched to the orange and navy as sort of like a new wave throwback. Two years later, they're in the playoffs. Five years later, they're cheating their way to a World Series. My question for the group, should the Mariners rebrand uh, as they prepare for what they hope to be a new wave of talent and success? Uh, I vote yes, personally. I've been beating this drum for a while i think the jerseys have gotten very stale i don't want them to like change everything uh, i think the logos are fine and the color scheme is mostly fine but i would love new jerseys what do y'all think yes i agree entirely with what you said like i really like the mariners aesthetic to be honest and the fact that it's not sort of the same as like 10 other teams in the league but i think they could absolutely do with a refresh um and and uh, could do it in a very fun way that wasn't just, what if we learn light blue now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would love, like, a an additional color introduced, maybe. Mm. like Get that gold the, back more. Invent more a new color? Get or, the gold back. Yes, gold. invent one. Or actually, you know, I'm just thinking about, like, the colors of Puget Sound. Like, you know, they've done the northwest green, but what about, like, a forest green? Like, what about pushing toward that way? Or yeah. we have these beautiful mountains. What about, like, the purpley color of like the sunset over the water in the cascade like, i would be into that uh yeah I, I think that's a great i mean not enough teams use one... purple and purple is a powerful color there's or pink there's... no one uses pink. no one uses pink we could do pink like a line of pink but how would we know when we're celebrating Bugs. the moms <laughs> that's a good point mm. i i do think i think the green in particular is a great point i mean obviously the other teams in Seattle have leaned into that. Like you got the Sounders, you got the Storm, you got the Seahawks to some degree. Um, you know, but uh, but that I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's. I mean, you know, you've got 
multiple several cities have like a clear aesthetic that is sort of color scheme based like pittsburgh you think yellow and black yeah. and that's multiple teams and i think it's all their team well i don't know all but it's certainly three of their major teams um and i think like generally like the blue and green and you know some other aspects in there is something the mariners could lean into a little more and i think it would be great yeah, you, forest you green, the color of the rainforest, mm-hmm. not like the action green or acid green. Right. That the... I was going to say, that's how this ends. Like, we advocate for <laughs> yeah. new colors. And no. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry. Green. Yeah, T-Mobile is in charge, and boy, yeah, you're going you're gonna to get action magenta. Uh, so I would not be mad about, like, a little pipe, a little magenta piping, i got to be honest. Yeah, I, I think piping is great. A pink yeah. jersey would probably be bad. I think it's I think some, an accent color would be... Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. All right, let's move to Tampa Bay. John Troopin, you have Rays duty. Uh, tell us how the Mariners can become the Rays <laughs> in a way other than giving away all of their money. Uh, yeah, so the the Rays have, I, w- I would say, really, really three components that, that have gotten them there. Uh, so the first one is the fact that I don't believe any other team gets as much uh, draft support as the Tampa Bay Rays. And that is, um, I mean, it is it is really something to see. So the, the way that MLB is set up, you know, teams get revenue sharing, or teams do revenue sharing, small markets get money from the big markets. I believe Tampa Bay typically gets about $45 million a year just given to them by MLB uh, from other teams. Uh, they have been, uh, they've gotten in trouble because they are not actually uh, reinvesting that money into their team uh, at the same rate, which is what they're ostensibly supposed to do. I think the Pirates and the A's also have gotten in trouble for that. But what they also get is extra draft picks. Uh, and that is immensely helpful. So uh, the Rays are a team who, yes, They've gotten some pretty uh, notable uh, picks in their in their draft development, but uh, at the top of their uh, at the top of their draft. But that's actually not really entirely how their team has come together, uh, despite the fact that it really could be. Um, Blake Snell is the best player they have had in through the draft this decade. Um, Obviously, Evan Longoria, David Price, excellent players, but that was a while, a while ago. But in that 2011 draft where they took Blake Snell, the Rays had 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 first round, quote unquote, picks. That makes me so mad. Um, <laughs> that makes me so mad. Uh, it is mind blowing. So. Part of that was because of the old uh, old structure of the draft or of the draft and free agency and how teams got comp picks uh, for free agent signing. So the Rays got a lot of free agents uh, comp picks, um, and that was that was a year they sort of tore it all up. Uh, but the Rays really have uh, leaned on the draft as a way to just spread the depth of their farm system um so yes they've gotten some really impressive top picks 
Uh, Snell is the biggest one on their big league roster right now. Uh, Shane McClanahan, I believe, is on their active uh, roster yet again um, as, as the uh, top pick of the 2018 draft. But it's important to note, they have only picked in the top 10 once since 2008. Um, for, for a tiny market team, quote-unquote, who, you know, ostensibly is kind of a under, you know, overlooked team in their division... It's not as though they're do- they've done what the Astros did, which is, all right, we're tearing it all up, we're going to be terrible, and we're going to get top picks, and that's how we're going to build through it. So something I, I honestly really appreciate about the Rays is they have found a way uh, to compete, yes, by not spending money, which I don't like, but uh, at the same time, they have not just thrown in the towel and said, okay, we're not even going to try until we can line up all of our players. Uh, so they, the highest they've picked since, uh, other than 2017, is uh, when they picked fourth and took Brendan McKay, who is hurt. Uh, they picked 13th, and they have not picked higher than that uh, since 2008, when they took Tim Beckham, which didn't work out all that well. So... Uh, Really what, what stands apart for the Rays is they have spread things out. Um, they use that extra draft money um, somet- sometimes in the way that the Astros do, which, as you mentioned, Kate, is, okay, we're not actually going to take the highest-ranked player with our top pick, but we're going to use the extra money that we have so that we take a decent player, save a little money, and then spread that uh spread that cash around on some higher upside people all throughout. Um, And that's a way that you can sort of hedge your bets on. Yes, you can get a sort of higher floor player, but then also you get, you know, a a higher ceiling option later. And that's something, as you mentioned, you know, the Mariners haven't necessarily done as much of. You could, I guess, argue, you know, they've taken some higher floor people, but not necessarily ones that are like clear savings so that they could go higher upside later. Um, so that's, that's the big sort of first part is, is drafting in a wide sense as opposed to, as opposed to seeing the draft as like, Oh, we have to, we have to get to the top of this to succeed. Uh, the second part is, uh, they are often one of the biggest investors in international free agency. They, before the, um, before the, New rules on international free agency started. They were often spending uh, over their ca- over the cap, or at least over the uh, limitation there, uh, to make sure they got some some particularly talented players. Uh, the best prospect in baseball, pretty universally, is uh, Wander Franco, uh, and he was a three point eight million dollar signee, uh, one of the one of the highest paid players in his class. Uh, but that said, they're all over it. You know, they're they they sort of cover all their bases. Uh, their second highest prospect is a guy named Vidal Brujan. Uh, $15,000 signing bonus, I think. Um, you know, and then they have got a bullpen that is a mixture of guys who uh, they've ID'd over the last decade. You know, Jose Alvarado, Diego Castillo, um, both international free agents uh, who, they, who they signed uh, in the earlier part of the last decade. Um, and, and much of their sort of system depth is, is filled out with guys who they, you know, committed to in a big way. Uh, and then the last part is 
really a willingness to use that depth that they've moved uh, around and, and built up uh, to consistently see and, and sort of take risks on uh, finding star talents. And so, you know, and not taking, believing in their own development and believing in the players that they have throughout their whole system to say, we can give up, uh, you know, this player because we think, you know, this guy might be a real star. And I think that's something that is particularly important for Tampa because of their unwillingness to spend, because they're not going to be able to sign you know, those extra star level free agents, or at least they're not willing to. Um, but, you know, the I think the clear sort of catalyst trade that, that makes this Tampa Bay Rays team, uh, you know, what it is now today is the Chris Archer trade, um, which, you know, <laughs> yeah, as Isabel makes a sort of mournful sound, uh, you know, personally, I like, Chris Archer quite a bit, but uh, his his departure, um, you know, led to them getting Tyler Glass now, led to them getting uh, Austin Meadows, uh, essentially led to them getting uh, really several of the best parts of their current roster, and that. And again, uh, picking like the Astros did on a team with pretty poor development. Absolutely, and and you know that's not always going to be the case. That that those you know those options arise at the exact right moment. You know, it's it's a lot easier to sort of construct that after the fact. But I think something something notable about that was the Rays weren't bad when they traded Chris Archer. They won ninety games that year. And they were still seven games out of a playoff spot. That was 2018 when the A's won 97 games and were the second wild card. And two two teams won 100 games in the AL East. So, you know, they were quite a ways away. But essentially, the Rays are constantly in a state of, we have probably a full 40-man roster of legitimate reasonable 40 or MLB players. And that is because of how much the draft helps them, but also how good they are at identifying players that can slightly bolster their team that can, uh, you know, help fill out their depth and then developing those players, uh, into, into something really, really special. I will take questions now. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, I have a question. Who is the Mariners' Randy Rosarena? When do we get one of those? <laughs> so I think that is a really, really interesting question because I think the Mariners, I would maybe argue, are are the team on the other side of a Randy Rosarena trade. Not in a bad way, but Randy Rosarena uh, was sort of essentially moved at a, you know, not a full challenge trade, but, you know, kind of a challenge trade, right? And and it happens to be that he was particularly uh, traded to the Cardinal, or from the Cardinals. Um, but the, uh, 
the Rays traded Matthew Liberatore, or Liberatore? Liberatore. Uh, Liberatore. Liberatore. Um, you know, who's one of, who's their, one of their first round picks? Uh, and essentially, Rosarena and Jose Martinez uh, were very much, you know, the seen as seen as pieces that could theoretically help the the Rays in the in the short term. But Libertor was probably the best prospect in the deal. Um, the Rays also got a, another draft pick because they always are Just <laughs> always collecting be collecting r- picks. Exactly, <laughs> always be collecting picks. Um, but. You know that that I don't know that trade. When in looking at this, reminded me of the sort of Marco Gonzalez Tyler O'Neill trade. And yes, that's partially because of the team involved. But I think that's the type of thing where it's like you have to identify what is going to help. You have to identify essentially the waves of your uh, window and what you're going to need. And and the Rays, I think, sometimes have gotten some grief because they kind of stockpile a lot of similar players who are sort of decent, not necessarily uh, clear starters, um, but so many guys who are either pre-arbitration or early in arbitration. Uh, and what they are counting on really is that they are going to be able to help one of those, you know, one or two or three of those guys break out out of the ten. And when that doesn't happen, you kind of have a bunch of mediocre players and it looks a little weird. And when it does happen, suddenly you have a absolutely fabulous roster that is young and exciting and you have depth so that if someone gets hurt, you're not in a huge deal or you're not in a hole. Um, So I don't know who that particular player is, but I think the depth of this Rays team is staggering not in the way of like everyone's a stud but in the way of you're not losing productivity when you you know Kevin Kiermaier gets hurt you have Manuel Margot who's like probably the another top 10 center fielder defensively like and that was really on display in the Rays outlasting the Yankees I mean those are two pretty deep teams yeah and the Rays just out depth the Yankees yeah um well, I mean, I think that's that's got to be a purposeful decision by the Rays because they're they have to outlast in a hundred and sixty-two game season. They can't outpay. They can't really offer much of anything else. But I feel like if they set it up so that you know every team is going to have those days where their stars are off and they've got to sit guys and people get injured. And the Rays have just built themselves so that when those things happen, they have bare minimum, serviceable, still secure, the wins keep on trucking players. Um, I have one more uh, sort of general fun fact beyond the fact that the 2011 draft had 10 first round picks, which I still, it blew my mind when I discovered it. But... Uh, do you guys remember uh, where the Tampa Bay Rays got their current shortstop from? And where they got their... Uh, well, uh, I will ask that. That That is the question. I, I don't know. I thought he... I assumed that he was signed by the Rays originally. Very reasonable assumption. Kate, do you know offhand? 
No, I mean, is Adamas or is... Willie uh, Adamas. Yeah, Willie Adamas was traded as a th- part of a three-team trade by the Detroit Tigers, along with Drew Smiley to the Tampa oh, Bay Rays. Of course. Uh, oh, hell yeah. During which, oh God, in the trade no. where the Tigers sent no. Austin Jackson to the Seattle Mariners, <laughs> and the Rays sent David Price to the Tigers, wow. and the Mariners sent Nick Franklin to the Rays. So... Oh. Uh, the Rays then obviously sent Smiley for Malik Smith and Ryan Yarbrough. So, it is, I suppose, I think we're going to hear about the Dodgers here in a sec, and I think that is a very interesting discrepancy because for all the depth that Tampa has, they actually don't have that much, like, starting pitching depth. Um, And the Dodgers do, but I think that something Tampa has decided on the sort of ends of the spectrum is they are going to essentially try and have aces and then make up for any time those aces aren't there by having the best dang bullpen on God's green earth. And um, and, and I just I think that's a really interesting way of going about it. And I think the Mariners are probably leaning... Oh, less towards that exactly. Not to say they don't care about the bullpen, but but I think that um, they're going a little more strongly towards we want to have lots of starters. And the Rays have said, screw it, starters cost a lot of money to keep. What if we had a few really young aces <laughs> and then just built 15... Built a death pen. Discreet, god, godly relievers. So... That, that's what I got for y'all. Any any other questions on the Rays, or should we go to the NL? No, I think we're ready to move on. I would just, I mean, you've touched on it. The thing that stands out, obviously, when watching the Rays is, like, the absurd amount of just guys that they have in the bullpen. Mm. And I was a little curious, like, this doesn't have to be a long discussion, but, like, is that, this is an actual, like, I don't know the answer question, is that guys they've developed, or are a lot of them, like, trades? Like, these guys, like... They're all like they have the really high numbers. I call them like offensive lineman numbers. There's Anderson, <laughs> there's a guy named Curtis, there's a Thompson, and all their numbers are like in the 80s. And then I expect them to just be like you know run of the mill guys, and they all throw 97. So do you know? Do you have it in front yeah, of you or anything I, like how they acquired those guys? Yeah. So uh, Jose Alvarado and Diego Castillo are the two uh, international free agents. Um, and then there's a couple draftees in there, uh, but that's sort of mixed bag that's McClanahan and then Josh Fleming who's another lefty they've got who's both of those are sort of a longer shot uh, usage guys um, it's really a lot of trades I mean it is you know they've got John Curtis and Aaron Loop who are both uh, free agents that they signed this this winter but like Anderson was a trade for Nick Solak from the uh, Rangers which, ooh, I mean, not a bad trade for the Rangers because, you know, they're sort of in a weird way and they needed offensive players. And, you know, tra- usually you want to trade a reliever for uh, an offensive player. But Nick Anderson is probably... Oh, actually, sorry, that's Pete and- Fairbanks. That's Pete Fairbanks. Sorry, sorry. And, I'm, yeah, I'm I was going to say, Anderson sorry. is the, the indie ball guy, right? Um, the, the guy they literally kind of just got no, off the... No, Anderson they got from Miami, and that was that was sort of a, an interesting trade where I believe that was the Jesus Sanchez trade. 
um, who Jesus Sanchez was another international signee they got. Um, I believe a, a higher uh, higher signing bonus guy. Um, yeah, um, and they they got uh, no, Trevor Nick, Richards. No, Nick Anderson for, was an indie ball guy. Uh, maybe at some point, but they but they got him from because uh, he had like they, DUIs they and from, stuff. Like, he was, I mean, he was a mess. He was like a DUI. Mm-hmm. Uh, went to indie ball like um, reclamation project. Uh, they, yeah, he. I think he had some trouble for sure, but. He, they got him for Jesus Sanchez and Ryan Stanek from the Marlins. Yeah. Um, which was, uh, Jesus Sanchez was a top 100 prospect, outfielder, uh, young guy, and because the Marlins had their whole situation this year, he played in the big leagues, but he probably wouldn't have normally. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, they, they, it's really, like, it's so many trades, Matthew. Yeah, it is, it is a constant... Like, it's the type of, it's trading to the degree where, like, you would, I think fans of a, of a larger team might feel like you're over-tinkering. And, and, and people often, I think, probably accuse them of over-tinkering. But <clears throat> for the Rays, it is a commitment to, we think, if we think we can make this move and it gives us a slightly better chance of having an absolute star uh, develop, uh, you know, and, and, and be here at the right time, then that's, that's what we need to do. So that, that's what I, that's what I think uh, their mentality is. And, and yeah, I, I don't think the Mariners have been fearful in their trading. So I, I think I'm encouraged by that. Um, but it, it, it's definitely the type of thing where it's like, it's a constant, you know, it's it, now hopefully the Mariners have the, beginnings of the depth in their system to have that sort of perpetual motion machine of okay we're moving these pieces to improve the big league club okay we're you know having a little bit of a rougher year let's move a piece from the big league club so that the next three five years we'll have something better um and and always maintaining sort of a degree of competitiveness as it were um because you know the rays the Rays have won 90 games or have been on a 90-win pace the last three years, and they've only – they've basically been around 500 at, or won 90 games this entire decade. Uh, they had one year where they won fewer than 77 games, you know, as since ni- 2008. So, um, I mean, they are – for all their foibles, an incredibly successful franchise, and I, I think the Mariners could could you know aspire to that level of consistency. Yeah, you guys are both right. By the way, he did play in the indie leagues after getting a DUI in college. He also went to jail, spent eight days in jail on an assault charge that involved a baseball bat and alcohol, according to Wikipedia. But then he. Got his life back on track and was with the Twins, or in the Twins system, I guess. Then the Marlins, then, like John said, was traded to Tampa in exchange for Jesus Sanchez and Ryan Stanek. So if anyone was wondering who was right in that debate, the answer was both of them. See, this is what makes you such a good host. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now let's talk about the Dodgers, who I feel like have done that and also have more money than most countries on earth. So, Isabel, uh, pitch us on how the Mariners can become the Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> of the American League. Yeah, so I want to be really clear. The Mariners cannot become the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, that's just not going to happen. Um, Fuck. Have <laughs> to give, so I have gotten into the habit working at the hall of looking back at history. Um, and to give a little perspective, uh, since 1970, so 50 years ago, uh, they've had seven seasons where they were below 500. So at no point have they ever traditionally tried to rebuild. They've just been good. They had uh, two disastrous years, quote-unquote, uh, 1986 and 1987, uh, back-to-back years when they were under 500. And beyond that, during that same time span, no back-to-back 500, uh, under 500 seasons. So they're just working with like a fully stacked deck. Um, And I went into this assuming, like you mentioned, Matthew, that they are just, they have so much money. They're willing to spend all the time at all costs. And Yes, that's true to an extent, but what you see in their like 2019 roster and in the depth chart is that it's so much less free agent signings and it's so much more drafting or on occasion signing amateur free agents that mostly has happened uh, on the pitching side, Um, but it's drafting these guys just nurturing them into tremendous success and then throwing all of the money at them. Um, So that is uh, what I have determined to be the real key to all of this. Um, Because if you look at their... uh, Sorry, I'm trying to speak into the microphone and also consult fangraphs. Um, They don't really trade which sounds ridiculous because absolutely they do. Um, Like we have the Mookie Betts trade as just the most recent giant example. But generally speaking, when they trade, it's to sort of churn out again from what I can glean. Um, So you've got Betts and you have Chris Taylor, obviously. And then you have, so here's a fun uh, little 
jolt down memory lane. December of 2014, the Dodgers and the Marlins made a trade. And the trade included Andrew Heaney, Kike Hernandez, Dee Gordon, Dan Heron, and Miguel Rojas. Um, inexplicably, the Dodgers still have two of those players on their regular roster. Two? One? I think just one. Just, just one, it sounds just like. One. But all of those guys are still kicking around besides Heron, which is pretty impressive. Um, also, just like a very 2014 trade. I'd forgotten who yeah. else was involved in that. Um, Dan Heron is kicking around on Twitter. <laughs> That's <laughs> true, yeah. <laughs> Big Twitter presence. Yeah, but it's really, if you want to be deeply, deeply jealous of systems and uh, draft capability, you can look at the Dodgers because they just, oh, thank you. John has pulled this up on his own monitor. Austin Barnes was also involved in that. Um little venture so he and um kike yeah are both yeah he and still kike are still very much part of the team hanging around and those are two people that i would really never link together otherwise but, um yeah that's really just the big takeaway for the dodgers is that you unfortunately like there are a lot of parallels that you can draw between the Dodgers and the Mariners when it comes to Kershaw and Felix. And we've done this, I think, a hundred times over, but obviously it's clear, like, you you draft, you sign a very young, raw talent ace, and he ends up becoming just like a franchise cornerstone. And where the Mariners fell apart quite clearly is in their ability to build a team around this generational talent. They tried a little bit of throwing free agent money around um, and they just tanked every draft that they possibly could. Um, And meanwhile, the Dodgers surrounded Kershaw with, you know, the best offense money could keep, I suppose. Well, yeah, looking at the looking at the Dodgers death chart mostly just made me really sad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question. Um, so the in in looking at the Dodgers sort of whole whole roster I am I am taken definitely with the fact that uh, as you said sort of they've they've really augmented and really kept their their stars and and sort of built built that together um, it is notable to me that much of their roster is in fact made up by first round picks and that as you said like you know, they've also filled it out with other players. You know, Jock Peterson was not even a signing bonus guy. He was he was drafted outside of the top ten rounds. Um, you know, Cody Bellinger wasn't a first round pick, but a lot of this is, you know, Corey Seager, you know, Will Smith uh, behind the plate. I mean, obviously Kershaw, even you know, going back forever, but you know, he's a first round pick, and and Walker Bueller. So like, how 
you know, it, how much of that, you know, is that scouting? Is that, I mean, not that you're going to tell me like, oh, it's player development, but like, you know, do you think that that is something the Mariners can, you know, are, are emulating in terms of, you know, you know, does that, does that encourage you with what the Mariners are doing in terms of like holding on to their last five first round picks, I guess, um, and, and really sort of leaning so heavily into we're drafting our guys and we're developing our guys. I guess there's some similarities if we're looking at the first rounds in terms of the Dodgers' similar focus on college picks and quote-unquote safer picks, I guess. Um, I think there's some hope less in looking at the Mariners' first round picks of late and more so looking at their, maybe at their 2016 draft class, maybe at like a, the 2017 one, this is where my like complete disinterest in <laughs> prospects shows. Um, but basically the 20, 2016 Dodgers draft produced Gavin Lux, Will Smith, Jordan Sheffield, Dustin May, Devin Smeltzer, Luke Rayleigh, I don't, he was traded for Brian Dozier, I don't know, um, and Tony Gonsolin. So if the Mariners can have a draft like that, or even like if the Mariners can have a draft that is two-thirds of that, they're set. Um, And I think, quite frankly, that's not outside the realm of possibility given what we've seen this year. And I think the Mariners also have recognized that so when they draft, when the Dodgers drafted in 2016, Farhan Zaidi had been there two years already. Um, and I think the Mariners have to recognize that there's a little bit of slow growth in establishing a system and in establishing like a really solid draft class. Um, so I think they've tried to augment that with a like I don't know like a prospect version of a draft class where they've traded and acquired for young guys who which is annoying from a fan perspective because you know you're maybe losing great players whose names you know and who you see every day and in exchange you're getting these guys that they hide away in terrible places like Arkansas and Tacoma but eventually those guys are gonna come back around and they'll have basically built a fake draft class for themselves that can look potentially like the Dodgers 2016 class. It is wild to realize that the Dodgers kind of similar to the Astros where like they both have the infrastructure already in place to be good. And then they consistently also add to it through the draft. Like I didn't realize that all those guys you mentioned were from, the same draft class, but also the fact that it was 2016, like that was so recent and they're <laughs> yeah. already making contributions like Gonsal. And I would have guessed was way older than that. I would have guessed that uh, Smith was older than that. Like, it seems like they've, these are names that we've known for a while. And then to realize like, okay, Gonsal the guy who kind of 
carries himself a little more like a veteran is from the same class as Gavin Lux, who looks like he's 14. Like, that is very unsettling to realize that the Dodgers can like do that and have like waves of talent coming from all angles. Again, something you get when you draft out of college and high school. High school players, yeah. they matter. Well, and and in looking at this group too, it seems as though like, as you said, the 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 mix and and the sort of like yes, they've taken some real high upside guys. You know, Lux was a high schooler, but there are times when oh, they tried to sign JT Ginn, it didn't work out, but that's okay. They tried to sign Kyle Funkhauser, oh, it didn't work out, but that's okay because that just means the next draft they have an extra pick that they can use to really go bigger and, and be smart about using that money to get, you know, I mean, I think, I think Funkhauser was, uh, let me pull it back up. I believe Funkhauser, they missed on. Yeah. So they, they got, uh, Walker Bueller and then they missed on Funkhauser. Um, but they were able to use the money, you know, they got an extra pick the next year and they had, uh, three picks in the 2016 first round. So that was enough for them to sign a high schooler in Lux, but then also a college catcher in Will Smith and Jordan Sheffield, who is still sort of interesting. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think if you're creating the platonic ideal of a baseball roster, um, the Dodgers are pretty much it. You know, they've got... It's the majority of homegrown talent, be it international signings, which, again, pitcher focus, or it's draft stuff. Um, And then it's a proven willingness to pay where they need to pay. Um, And, yeah, I think... And you obviously get, like, the token lucky I'm calling it lucky because honestly I think it is um the token lucky sort of funky free agent signings in like Max Muncy and uh Justin Turner um but I suppose all of that then goes back to your faith in the guys at every level of your organization coaching people up yeah and it's also like it's so funny how the Dodgers can get um, like extra credit it seems like for doing things that like all of baseball has agreed upon like when you hear about Muncie and Turner especially <laughs> it's like okay they like their whole thing was like they learned how to hit the ball in the air and everyone is doing that now but because it's the Dodgers everyone's like oh my god on the cutting edge like look at the Dodgers and it's like that's exactly what happened with Martinez too when he left the Astros like someone got in his ear and said hey you're really strong you hit all these home runs in college just hit the ball in the air and we'll also say like both, very both those teams were ahead of the curve on which again involves putting money into your analytics departments mm-hmm. and for the Dodgers putting money into like Isabel was saying like putting money into your development putting money into your taking care of your guys the Dodgers have like a legendary minor league clubhouse in every league they're in well like, like their food their food is their food is so much nice they are not eating like peanut butter and jelly and cliff bars like they're eating good whole healthy food they're eating nuts and grains and no white bread no <laughs> i'm serious all, like i think no, all sorry. of that too combines so they make the organization comfortable they make it great to be a dodger at whatever level you happen to be at and then you they make it so that i don't know 
you know, maybe I'm getting too psychology on this, but I think that with all their focus on analytics and with their promotion of themselves as like really continuing to be on the cutting edge, I think all of those things combine to make players want to stay. Because that, that's a big takeaway for me from this is that it it's guys that they draft who they pay to keep there and guys who want to continue to stay there. Well, um, yeah, and, and there's a huge, like, prestige associated with being a Dodger, right? And they've done well by the name and they've held it up well. And that's something I would say about the Yankees, too, who, like, just got steamrollered by the Rays, but I think yeah. could have easily been in this podcast, too. I would have loved to see the Yankees go up against the Astros, personally. I will say I think the Yankees sometimes get the flip side of that, too. Like, if they don't value the player in the organization, those players can feel a little salty. Like, we see that, I think, with Clint Frazier a little bit. We saw that with Mike <laughs> Ford some. Like, if they view you as chaff... People, like, everyone wants to leave. They're going to talk a little shit. And I don't know. We don't really hear Dodgers, former players, or, like, current mediocre guys talking poorly about the organization. Yeah, I think you're right. Okay, it's my turn. I don't have any (laughs) questions for the Dodgers. Uh, I think we all are very familiar with them, watching them go to the playoffs for nine straight years or whatever. Uh, I think that the Braves, the team that I will be talking about, are by far the like one that the Mariners can ape like in their attempt to make the playoffs. Like, There's a lot of similar things going on here. And I took a little bit of a different approach than y'all. I focused more on like the players the Braves have right now and thought, like, okay, who is the Mariners equivalent of that rather than look at the organization as a whole. And what I realized was, so the Braves have, right now, they have, three young starting pitchers that they're kind of hanging their hat on in Freed, Ian Anderson, and Kyle Wright, all of whom have started in the playoffs this year and have been good uh, during the regular season. Anderson has very little experience, but has already shown flashes of being great. Kind of the same thing for Wright. And then Max Freed is like sort of the already arrived prospect who has become what they wanted him to be. And the way that they got them, I thought was pretty interesting. Freed, I assumed, was a Braves draft pick, but that was not the case. He was taken by the Padres and then traded for Justin Upton. So the other thing about the Braves is uh, not even that long ago, they made the playoffs. They actually won 96 games and won their division with an entirely different team. Like, it's not even remotely. Freddie Freeman is the only one who's left uh, from the 2013 team, which was... Like Brian McCann, Freeman, Dan Uglo was still playing. They still had Andrelton Simmons. They had uh, both the Upton brothers in the outfield, Jason Hayward. So, like, that team was very good, but they're all gone. Like, it was a classic, like, our window is now. When it didn't work, they got rid of everyone. Um, And fun fact, just actually more of a trivia question. Do you guys know which Mariner legend? And that's not a joke. An actual Mariner legend was on the 2013 Braves team that made the playoffs. Do any of you know who it was? Um, He's Venezuelan, if that helps. Freddie Garcia. Yes. Freddie Garcia, Garcia was on the 2013 Atlanta Braves. It was going to be my guess before you said Venezuelan, but that yeah, did absolutely in. insane to me. Really but so yeah, anyway, that team has their little success, and then when it doesn't work, the Braves go into basically a tank. That's another kind of interesting thing 
Um, but they had like playoffs and then they were bad and now they're on the upswing again. But 2015 and 2016, they won 67 and 68 games. 68 is the same amount of wins as the Mariners had last year, the first year we really saw them embrace tanking. So between the 2014 and 2015 seasons, that's when the Braves do their 2019 Mariners move. The Braves get rid of Gaddis, the Upton brothers, Jason Hayward, Irvin Santana, Craig Kimbrell. They're all gone, kind of like the Mariners getting rid of Cano, Cruz, Diaz, Paxton, and, you know, and everyone. So they get uh, Max Freed in one of those trades when they got rid of Upton. Um, and the Braves get other prospects as well, as including a young Malik Smith. Um, and this, to me, is not too different from the Justice Sheffield trade for the Mariners, where the Mariners got rid of an aging veteran who didn't totally fit the plan. And then in return, they got a young left-handed pitcher who was drafted in the first round. Um, an interesting difference, though, is the Braves kind of yo-yoed Freed. He was up and then back down to the minors and then up again. Um, I think that the Mariners, it's very clear that Justice Sheffield is not going to have to do that. He is here to stay. But uh, So that's how they got Freed, who has been kind of their ace. They also had um, Fulton Evich for a little bit, who looked like he was going to be really good. That kind of didn't pan out. <laughs> he fell off a cliff, basically. But they had enough stuff. Uh, in like they had young guys already at the big league level, and then they had the reinforcements coming from the minors in Anderson and Wright. They also obviously have Mike Soroka, who got hurt this year. Um, he was a great sort of feather in their cap as well. But back to the current roster, you have Ian Anderson, who was drafted third overall by the Braves in 2016 out of high school. It took a high school pitcher third overall, something that we basically know for a fact the Mariners will never do. Um, <laughs> the Mariners would have taken in that draft A.J. Puck or Cal Quantrill if they were in the Braves situation, who were college pitchers from big schools, Florida and Stanford, respectively. Um, but the Braves did not do that. They took a, a risk um, going for Ian Anderson. And to me, he's kind of their Logan Gilbert. It's not exactly an A to B connection, but Anderson is the highest draft pick of the uh, the homegrown pitchers, which I guess would be Hancock for the Mariners, but that's not important. Anyway, uh, Ian Anderson uh, had a 55 future value on fan graphs, which is what uh, fan graphs has basically decided is Logan Gilbert as well. And I think um, we've seen that Anderson, like I mentioned, he came up uh, and didn't have a lot of like regular season experience before they threw him into the playoffs, <laughs> which could be an interesting sort of deployment for Logan Gilbert. If everything breaks well for the Mariners next year and they find themselves in the playoff race, I think they could kind of follow a similar strategy if they want to really push their chips in the middle and say, we're going for it. They could call up Gilbert in a similar way that the Braves called up Ian Anderson. And then you have Kyle Wright, who is the opposite of Anderson in terms of uh, where he was drafted. He was out of Vanderbilt, a college baseball factory um, who went fifth to the Braves in 2017, like a polished big league ready arm from an SEC school. So obviously for the Mariners, Hancock then is that connection. Hancock went sixth, Wright was fifth. Uh, like I said, both Wright and Anderson have already pitched in the playoffs this year. Wright is 25. Anderson is only 22. So if the Mariners were to make the playoffs in, say, two years, that's about where Gilbert and Hancock would be age-wise as well. So those big three, and we haven't mentioned Soroka really because he's been out of the picture this year, um, but the Braves have a lot of pitching. They've kind of reverted back to like the Smoltz-Glavin uh, other guy Maddox thing where it's like we're gonna have great pitchers everywhere that's the whole strategy at least that's where we're gonna start and then we'll fill in later um, the Braves did that again this year um, and then they obviously on the offensive side 
you have Ronald Acuna, who he's everything that we want Julio to be. Obviously, the highly touted wonder boy with the thousand watt smile who like wears his heart on his sleeve and is also a prospect that like even casual fans of each team's know so like in the Braves case they would have I think Braves fans would have known who Acuna was when he was in the minors even if they weren't prospect people the same way that a lot of casual Mariners fans are at least aware of Julio's name and I looked at the numbers because I was curious. So Acuna in A-ball when he was 18 uh, hit 311, 387, 432. Julio as an, A-ball, is, as an 18-year-old in A-ball, 293, 359, 490. So Julio hit for a little more power, a little more thump in his bat. He also struck out a lot more than Acuna did. But the numbers aren't that dissimilar, which obviously made my heart race when I saw that. I was like, oh my god, they have basically the same minor league careers, uh, at least to this point in Julio's development. And Acuna really blazed through the minors as well and like improved his average every year he was there, which I thought was interesting because Julio, in a very small sample size, admittedly, at Modesto, uh, hit 462, which is like kind of what Acuna did when he jumped a level. He improved his average just like Julio did. So, obviously, like it's crazy to think that like a kid that hasn't played above Modesto yet could become Ronald Acuna but like that's the whole point of what we're doing right now is to try to figure out how the Mariners can do this so he is obviously the blueprint for Julio and I think everything we know about Julio tells us that he also probably feels this way like he wants to be A-Rod he wants to be Acuna he wants to be Soto so like it's not out of the realm of possibility for sure and then the other big sort of position player that they have uh, that was like a pillar of their system is Dansby Swanson, who is crazy. I mean, he was a number one overall pick by Arizona, who then gave up on him the trade for Shelby Miller, which is fucking insane. Like, that's absolutely <laughs> horrible practice. Um, so the Braves, I would say, kind of lucked out there. Um, if, like, it's a good trade on their part, obviously, but, like, the Diamondbacks giving up on him that quickly for literally Shelby Miller is like, that's <laughs> that should never happen. Um, the only thing that I could kind of think of, um, and it's not a perfect comparison, but like Dansby Swanson, you could say that for a number one overall pick getting traded to a different organization before he makes the big leagues, that's a pretty big setback. Not the same thing, but also not too dissimilar from Kyle Lewis having a gruesome ACL injury that kept him out for a whole year. Uh, both also play premium defensive positions and do it very well. Both are also extremely good looking for what it's worth. <laughs> and then you have uh, for this year's team, for this year's race specifically, you add Marcelo Zuna, uh, who is on a one year massive contract. I think it's like twenty three million dollars. So that's something where, you know, people have been screaming at the Mariners, spend money, spend money, spend money. Sorry, it's 18 million for Ozuna. Um, and, you know, if the Mariners find themselves in a position like these Braves where it's like, okay, look at all this young talent we have. We got to add another piece. Like an Ozuna type deal is totally, totally within the the Mariners' ability to accomplish. Um, And obviously, like, you're not going to get Marcelo Ozuna production from every free agent, but he is like a nice um, success story for going out and spending money to get a win-now guy. And then last but not least, I mentioned from 2013, the only guy left from the Braves team that made the playoffs 
is Freddie Freeman. He is obviously uh, Atlanta's Kyle Seeger and a guy that like the fans have latched onto. Freddie Freeman, from what I can gather from a couple of the Braves fans I follow on Twitter, is like a god to them. Like they love him. They love that he stuck around through the bad parts and is like very much an Atlanta guy. The way that Seeger has become a Mariners guy, and I think the the main through line here is that like we would both obviously be rooting for him super hard the way that Braves fans are rooting for Freeman to have success in all things he does. That's kind of how I think all Mariners fans feel about Kyle Seager. And then the last thing that I'll say, the one that actually really got me like intrigued was that um, a lot of these guys in the Braves came up together in the minors. The 2017 Gwinnett Braves at the AAA level had Acuna, Albies, Swanson, and Max Freed all on the roster together at one point. Uh, which, you know, shades of the 2019 Arkansas Travelers who have like all of the Mariners' best prospects in one place, getting to know each other, learning to play together, sort of playing for each other. Um, if you buy into all of the like team chemistry stuff, which I think we all do, um, that was there for the Braves as well in their minor league system. So uh, I don't know where most of these Braves players came from. I couldn't tell you a lot about you know, the bullpen guys or, you know, the fringe guys where they came from. I sort of looked at like the top of the roster guys and thought, okay, do the Mariners have similar pieces? And the answer was they do. So uh, basically I think the Mariners are set up to win three straight division titles, (laughs) the way the Braves have from 2018 till now. And I'll open the floor for questions. (laughs) That makes me feel the best yet out of all of these. Absolutely. I agree. Like Good so many, sales pitch, Matthew. There's so many parallels last year, but like with the Braves making it when they weren't quote unquote supposed to. And I think maybe this is too much, but I think the Mariners' success this season could have been a little bit of a similar like, look at this good process. It's manifesting well ahead of when it's meant to in a similar way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that it's like easy to root for as well. I don't know how you guys feel about the Braves. I love the Braves. I think they're easily the most fun team left in the playoffs. The Rays are kind of fun from like a, how are they doing this perspective? The Braves are more of like every guy on this team is pretty fun to watch. And I think that the Mariners have a little bit of that in them as well. I well, feel I think... completely the opposite about that, but this has made me like the Braves more. <laughs> really? Okay, interesting. I just I'm a sucker for a good celebration and their little stir it up celebration or whatever stir the pot I you were cooking, the whatever top. they're doing. They're like the <laughs> cooking <laughs> motion is it works on me 100. percent Well, I th- I think the the homegrown component or the functionally homegrown, as you mentioned, like with Swanson and uh, Freed, where it's like the uh, players who have been in the organization for basically their entire career. Um, I I think that that is a legitimately appealing, you know, component in terms of watching as a fan. Uh, And, and, you know, we have, have seen, you know, the earlier half of the 2010s was a lot of let's watch these young guys come up and it didn't work out. Um, but I think that there's still something very appealing and very sort of engaging about that type of approach. And I think that that's something that we're a little bit getting now again, after the sort of 2015 through 2018 
group where it was a lot of like we're just bringing people in and cycling people through to try and supplement this group. So I think that there is something there that's that's very appealing. Um, and, and I think it's, it's actually quite interesting, as you noted, for each of these teams, maybe not the Dodgers as much, but, but for the Astros, for the Rays, for the Braves, there was sort of a inciting trade that pushed this from something normal to something special um and you know the shelby miller trade for sure uh for the astros i mean it could be any any number of trades but um certainly trading for verlander for a number of prospects that weren't a huge thing or uh you know the ken giles trade uh and and obviously for the rays uh in in terms of uh chris archer like the mariners may have that already in, in terms of the Kelnick trade and it would be very interesting to look at this long term and, and, and see how that that has manifested uh, and really impacted their you know going from oh this is going okay to oh this is really happening one thing yeah, I'd like I should to also add mention, oh sorry okay, go, ahead. go ahead no go ahead uh, just that Swanson was given a space to struggle for the Braves and Freed was given a space to struggle and I think that that is one of the overlaps I see with the Mariners right now is like Justin Dunn because you brought up the Kelnick trade Justin Dunn was a part of that trade Um, I think he's being given the space to struggle right now and like Evan White has is being given the space to struggle so again, if you're talking about like a key part of your infield, Shed Long was given space to struggle. So it's like, how good is the organization at sticking with those guys, keeping them in a good headspace, helping them make the adjustments that they're going to come back and be better? That's a good point. It's kind of in line with what I was going to say, which is that the Braves also showed confidence in young players early. They obviously, they gave um, Acuna and all these big extensions and we can talk about how maybe you know they were undermining those players values but they at least showed the confidence like we want you here for the next six seven years the way the Mariners also did with Evan White and I think that that also really matters like if you're a young guy and it's different with you know international players versus guys like Evan White who came from a college and have been you know in America for a long time but um, <laughs> the fact that like they said, we want you to be a Brave. Or the Mariner said to Evan White, we want you to be a Mariner for a long time. Like, there's no way that that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Like, if you're a young person and your employer says, we believe in you, we're going to give you a lot of money to show we believe in you, like, that's really cool. And I think that that's an interesting approach from an organization. Um, Albies was already successful in the major leagues, granted, when they gave him the extension, whereas Evan White had never played in the majors. But I still like that thing of, like, we want you here for a reason, and now we are going to show you that. And then, like Kate said, allow you the ability to struggle. Um, the Braves got lucky that Albies never struggled. He was good right away. But I think the idea is very similar. Of like, If there's a young guy we believe in, we are going to show him that financially. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's absolutely a, a great point and also where the Mariners uh, hopefully will, will put themselves. Uh, because it, it really is, like, that's how you then establish, like, okay, this is happening, 
and this is what it's going to be like for a long time. This is, you know, um, I, th- I think the Braves sort of window, if you will, like is an interesting one because they kind of came into the NL East, like they're, they're winning ahead of schedule coincided with the NL East really sort of, I mean, falling apart a bit. Like the Phillies had a terrible rebuild that didn't really work out and the Mets should have been better, but weren't, um, Nationals were flashy. Yeah, pen. yeah, the Nationals were all over the place, and the Marlins were bad as usual. Um, I don't. I wonder if the Mariners are going to have that luxury. It it seems possible. Like it seems like the AL West is going to be as bad as it has been in quite some time next year. But I don't know if they're going to be. You know, I, I wonder if they're going to get that same luxury as the Braves, who I think they have won like ninety games and won their division that year um and i i am curious you know the a's are still going to be decent the astros are still going to be decent but uh yeah I, I think that's a very interesting potential situation i think that matters more so than the mariners taking the division than it does in them playing slightly weaker divisional teams so there's just a higher likelihood of mm-hmm. getting a few more wins than they might have otherwise yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, hopefully that we we can have this conversation about the actual Mariners at some point soon instead of trying to do the, like, connect pieces of yarn to thumbtacks. Like, oh, if the Mariners do this, then they become the Braves. And if they do this, that can be like the, the Astros. I think we're closer than a lot of the rest of the baseball world realizes. And I'm really excited to watch because that's the other thing, like watching these young players become – like guys in the playoffs is just so objectively enjoyable. And if we get that feeling with Mariners that we've been watching and following and writing about for years now, it's just going to be one of the greatest feelings of my life. And I don't think that's even a hyperbole. I think that's hundred percent true. Yeah, I agree. Cool. Well, any final thoughts or any other plugs you want to make for your team that you became a fan of for an hour and a half tonight? Okay, I'd just like to state for the record that I do love the Dodgers and have loved the Dodgers for many moons. Even though I didn't. I would like to state enough. that I do not love the Astros, in case that wasn't clear. Yeah. No, I'm that's a good point. Them. I would like to add eat shit Astros to my, <laughs> to my ledger. Although, Kate, shout out to the Pirates who got a lot more time on this podcast than I really thought they would. <laughs> I, yeah, know. I mean, I guess, you sp- yeah. I've been spending a lot of time with them lately. What can I say? It's just, uh, you know, it's a reminder of what is going on outside of our little baseball bubble world. And this is an exercise I think I'd like to repeat when we do this again with the AL West and look at kind of where everyone is. So be on the lookout for that for a future podcast because we'll talk about where we've done the Astros, but we can do the rest of the AL West and where they are in their perspective and maybe it won't take an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And a kind of overarching theme of all of these teams um, is depth. We talked about that for all of them. I didn't really mention 
Like the Braves lost Inciarte this year. They didn't have Nick Marcakis for a while. Like Josh Donaldson left in the offseason, and they were fine. And that's a lot of that is because they had guys ready to go. They had Austin Riley ready to fill in. They have this guy Pache who can play the outfield really well. And the Mariners hope to have that with their prospects, and there is no better place on the planet to learn about Mariners prospects than lookoutlanding.com. So keep your eye <laughs> on all of that stuff. We have prospect stuff in the past. We'll have stuff in the future, and – we will continue to give you all the sweet Mariners content <laughs> that you crave. So for all of us here at the Lookout Landing podcast and the site in general and Mariners fans as a whole, I will make us representatives for all of them. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you will continue to do so throughout this weird, weird time that we're all living through. Good bye. Go Flappy Boys. <laughs> <laughs> What you, what you gonna do? Hey! I call it housework Cause it's light work What you, what you gonna do? I'ma throw shapes Filling the base till my feet hurt hey! I call it housework Cause it's light work What you, what you gonna do? But I'ma throw shade if I don't get paid for this housework hey!